Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. We're calling 2019 the year of the Bible, and all year long we're reading through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, and our Sunday sermons are coming from the weekly readings. If you'd like to join in, go to cornerstonetulsa.org, click on Year of the Bible. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Lord, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to come together to worship you. Lord, would you open our eyes to see your faithfulness more clearly and our ears to hear your word more vividly and our hearts to know and love you more deeply. I pray that we would listen to today's sermon without distractions and comfort those who are hurting and challenge those who are too comfortable. The text is from Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. Amen. My prayer first. Yeah, that's all right. That's great. You can have a seat. Aren't you glad I didn't ask you to read that scripture? But really, that's a very uplifting passage. In fact, I came this close at Mardell this week to buying a decorative pillow with those verses stitched onto it. Uh, It was really, really lovely and uplifting. Um, Leviticus, man, Leviticus is tough. Uh, If you don't know, as a church, we're we're reading through the Bible as a congregation. We're calling it the year of the Bible. And so we started on New Year's Day with Genesis 1. In three or four chapters at a time, we've been trudging along uh, through the Bible, and Leviticus is tough. It is really hard. In fact, uh, how many of you are familiar with the Babylon Bee? The Babylon Bee? Because there has to be a Christian version of everything, uh, the Babylon Bee is like the Christian version of The Onion, which is a satirical online news organization, and uh, Babylon Bee had this great uh, headline at the beginning of this year. Local man sets more realistic goal of reading the Bible until he gets to Leviticus. <laughs> I thought that was pretty great. Uh, it's, it's really tough. Who would say, if you're, if you're participating, who would say, yeah, it's been a struggle? Okay, a lot of us. Uh, yeah, but it can't be that bad. I mean, it's God's word. All scripture is God-breathed. It can't be that bad. So let's go to an expert. Let's go to somebody who's, who really knows the Bible, who can help, like, squeeze all of the value out of it for us. Eugene Peterson, one of my heroes, he, he passed away in this last year. He translated the message version of the Bible for crying out loud. He's a Hebrew scholar. What's Eugene have to say to us? Uh, I found a sermon of his that he preached to his congregation near Baltimore, and this is what he said. He said, have you ever made a resolution to read the Bible through in one year? Some of you have. I know because a number of you have told me you've done just that. And sometimes you ask for my help. Pray for me, Pastor. I really want to do this. Weeks and months pass, and then one day I run into you at the shopping mall. Remember our earlier conversation. I ask, by the way, how's your project of reading the Bible all the way through turned out? You stutter a bit, and you say, not so good. It only lasted five weeks. And my reply is usually... It was Leviticus, wasn't it? And you're surprised to guess that I, that I guessed right. But then he has this profound bit of wisdom. He says, Leviticus, I'm sure, is responsible for more people giving up on a systematic page-after-page reading of the Bible than anything else. My response to this is not to pray harder for you, but to give you some advice. Skip Leviticus. <laughs> 
go on to the next book, Numbers. Come on, Eugene, help a guy out. I got to preach all this stuff. Two sermons, actually. Leviticus is a really challenging read. And you go from the last 15 chapters of Exodus where you're talking about instructions for the construction of the tabernacle and these various sacrifices. You've got Aaron's priestly garments, which probably would have been awesome. But you've got Aaron's priestly garments. You've got these instructions about the priesthood in general, about their ordination. Things are getting pretty dry, and you're, you're 10, 9 chapters in. And you're like, what is the point of this? This is boring. But it gets to a high point when you get to a place like uh, Leviticus chapter 9. You know, the tabernacle has been built. They've been in, like, all of the sacrifices are in their proper place. The priests are in their proper getup, and they're ordained, and they're ready to do the whole thing. And the whole nation of Israel is assembled at the tabernacle. And this comes from Leviticus chapter 9. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, where God said he would show up. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted for joy. Whoa, it worked. It really worked. But then the fire comes out, and they fall face down. The entire assembly falls face down before the Lord. Can you imagine if that happened in this room? Can you imagine if you had been there and you felt the heat from the fire, the presence that came out of the Holy of Holies? Can you imagine seeing that animal sacrifice just consumed and what it would have been like? It would have been spectacular, but amazing. And for New Testament believers, we give the, the whole sacrificial system kind of a bad rep. But if you had been there, If you were like there and you put your hand on the cattle, you know, representing your sin and then that sin was destroyed in the fire and you feel the heat and everyone is freaking out, you know, it'd be an amazing and a powerful moment. God had mercifully provided a way that sinful human beings could endure his nearness, could endure his his presence. God could finally be among his people like the garden Again, this was the mercy of God. And that was what the tabernacle was ultimately all about. The tabernacle was about God being at the center of the life of his people. And the last time the people had been exposed to the unmediated presence of God, it, it scared the living daylights out of them. And they knew, they intuited rightly, if we endure this much longer, we're going to die. This is Exodus chapter 20. Uh, God has just given Moses and the people the Ten Commandments. That when the people saw the thunder and the lightning on the mountain of Sinai, when they heard the trumpet, they saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, hey, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we're going to die. They, They said to Moses, you represent us to God and then God back to us. And this is ultimately what the priesthood was all about a way that, that people could have, con- have communication with God and they wouldn't die in the process. So Moses and Aaron became the prototypical priests. Aaron and his sons were to take on this mantle of, of the priesthood. Uh, and from the beginning, the priests were given a unique privilege. 
They got to experience things that outside of the tribe of Levi, nobody else got to experience. In fact, this was from Exodus 24, just a bit after. God liked their plan of, of choosing representatives, priests. And so Moses and Aaron, this is Exodus 24, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. But God didn't raise his hand against these leaders. They had been invited. They saw God and they ate and drank. They they survived. They were given this unique position of privilege to see the God of Israel, to enter into the presence of the God of Israel, but they had to do things God's way. It was always on God's terms because God's presence is never neutral. God's presence is never neutral. It's either life or death, blessing or a curse. I have friends who really like scuba diving. And scuba diving, I mean, they've, they've, they've had us over and we've watched these videos of them uh, underwater and they put it next to like, or they, they put uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon on, which is perfect. It's really trippy. And they're underwater and they're seeing these amazing wonders. They're seeing these things. They're touching these creatures that we just see in National Geographic and in the videos and things. And they were there. They touched it. And to, to be there, to encounter those wonders is an incredible position of privilege. It's, it's, it's really beautiful, but it's also an incredibly dangerous thing to do. Because if you're that deep and you don't know how your regulator works, you're in trouble. Or if you don't know the right combination of oxygen and nitrogen, you're in trouble. You're encountering beauty, but it could kill you in the process. And similarly, for those who wanted to approach God... And in particular, for those uh, approaching God through the priests, they were encountering untold beauty. Untold beauty, but it was an incredibly dangerous thing to do. You had to approach and honor God in God's way. And if you did, there was blessing. And so if you can recall, uh, in in the end of Exodus, the beginning of Leviticus, they they described the, the construction of the tabernacle, how there was to be a table with 12 loaves of bread always perpetually on the table. And shining on the table, there was to be a a candle, a a menorah, shining on the bread. And it was to symbolize what God hoped to be true about the tabernacle, how the the light of God's presence would shine on his people. The light of the menorah was always to shine on the 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And if the people approached God in God's way and lived by God's covenant, there would be blessing for them. In fact, this is how God describes it in Deuteronomy chapter 7. If you pay attention, this is Moses, if you pay attention to these laws, if you're careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. He'll love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He'll bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, your wine, your oil, the calves of your herd, the lambs of your flocks, and the land he swore your ancestors to give you. You're going to be blessed more than anybody. None of your men or women will be childless, nor will any of your livestock be without young. If you live in God's way, the light of his presence will shine on you. It will show up tangibly, God said, to this nation of Israel at the time in, in, in the basics of your crops and your womb and all of these things. And it makes sense, the light of God's presence uh, with the blessing that God gave the priests to speak over the people. As they exited the tabernacle, being in the presence of the living God who irradiated their faces, they were to go from that place of blessing and put a blessing on the people. This was from Numbers. 
And the, people, they were, the priests were to say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. If they lived in God's way, they would live and bask in the light of God's presence and all would go well for them. But if you fail to approach God in God's way, uh, there's tremendous danger. And that's what the text today demonstrates. Now, Nadab and Abihu, what on earth did they do? And aren't you glad that you're not the one preaching on this? What on earth did they do? Uh, it's this, the text says really simply that they offered unauthorized fire. And as we read in the broader context of the book of Leviticus, we see a number of different options for what that might mean. It could mean, on the one hand, that they took coals from outside the tabernacle, maybe from their house, a place that was unblessed. And they brought those live coals, put them in the censers where they carried the incense, and that was the unauthorized fire. It could have been it. They brought fire from outside the tabernacle. It was unblessed. They should have gotten it from the altar. It's one option. Another option is if you read further in the text, God immediately gives through Moses, instructions to Aaron and his sons not to drink. You think, well, why did, why did that happen? Well, it's entirely possible that they were just drunk in God's presence and were guilty of disorderly conduct as priests. And God's like, nah, you're not going to do that. Uh, that's, that's certainly a possibility. Or there's a possibility we see in Leviticus chapter 16 that they peeked into the Holy of Holies. You're only supposed to, the priests were to go in there one time a year, one day a year, on the Day of Atonement. And it could have been that, that Nadab and Abihu peeked into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's Spirit, God was said to rest between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant where the tablets of the Ten Commandments were. Maybe they peeked in and God was like, nope, it's always going to be on my terms and in my way. Whatever it was that happened, the principle was that the representatives of the people to God and God to the people made their own terms for how the relationship was going to work out. Uh, Nadab and Abihu committed Adam and Eve's sin. This was ultimately Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. They defined right and wrong for themselves rather than letting God be the one who defines what's right and wrong and good and beautiful. This was Adam and Eve's sin, and it's the sin that Israel commits again and again and again. And as a result of it, that they pay the price. And it serves as a very serious warning to everybody who represents God, to pastors and to priests, that it's a, it's a position of privilege uh, to, to stand in that kind of intermediary place where you're representing God uh, to the people or representing God's word to the people. It's kind of a shot across the bow to all of the pastors and the priests that the way that we use our power uh, always comes with high accountability. And so you think about uh, news in our country of, of pastors and of priests who have used that power in deeply harmful ways. And there are lots of people who have forever turned from the faith because people who were supposed to represent God to find good and evil for themselves, and many people suffered. It's, it's a warning that, that these offices should be exercised uh, with fear and with trembling. And I'm confident that in a group of people this size that people in this room have been deeply harmed or abused by pastors or by priests by people who are given some kind of office of authority to represent God or God's word to you, and they misused it. 
And if that's you, as a pastor, I would just say, I'm so sorry that that happened. Uh, And I would remind you, there will be accountability. Uh, There will be a a reckoning for people who abuse their power in that way. And for Nadab and Abihu, it it meant their life. Now, as we read this, uh, you're probably like me and you're thinking, well, gosh, I'm glad it's not like that anymore. I'm really glad that we don't have to, as we're signing up like volunteers, I'm glad we don't have to have a corpse team because like people are falling out left and right. They walked in with like tobacco in their pocket and God's like, nope. Uh, I'm really glad that that didn't happen. I'm really glad that like, you know, when I stroll in a couple of minutes late or my kids hopping over the pews that we're not all waiting for lightning to strike. Uh, How many of you would say you're fairly glad that we don't live in that situation? Far more of you than I would guess are missing it, I guess. Um, But why is that? Why is it the fact, why do we read this as being true in Leviticus, but time has gone on? Did God go to anger management? Did God turn off the intensity a little bit, take it down to 9 from 11? Uh, What happened? Well, there you go. (laughs) Don't give away the punchline. What happened? If God is immutable, if God is unchangeable, if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, uh, what happened? Uh, We see with technology how things change over time. I remember being at Joe Shepard's house in 1995, and he got uh, an AOL disc by mail. Uh, people like, like, like decorated their walls with a number of these things. They tiled their walls with all the AOL discs we got. Some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about. But America Online was my first encounter with the Internet. And so we went over to Joe Shepard's house. He put in the CD-ROM, installed America Online. He unplugged the landline phone. Does anybody not know what a landline phone is? <laughs> he plugged it into the back of his computer. We clicked on America Online, and then we hear the dial tone. And then it's the really obnoxious thing. Nah, 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 nah. And in a couple of minutes, it, which like that, that thing was so loud, your, your ears are recovering from hearing it. Uh, it pops up and it goes, you've got mail. And, uh, and it was just, it was clunky. If you tried to call the house while someone was on the internet, uh, it would go to a busy signal. Some of you don't have an idea what a busy signal is. Um, <laughs> I remember being a kid and my parents uh, had, uh, we had AOL in the, in the game room. You couldn't sneak onto the internet late at night because you had to dial up to the modem. It was so loud. It was just so loud. It was probably good for accountability for everybody. But, uh, you know, now it's so easy. You pull out your phone. You don't have to be attached to anything. You click on the internet button. You don't have to log in. But, you know, the principles are all the same. You have a device. That device needs to be on, needs to be connected somehow, and that, and that connection needs to be live. Though the technology has become much more seamless, all of the basic elements are still there. Though we, we just take it for granted. If you grew up with screens, if you grew up with Wi-Fi, you take for granted just how sophisticated this whole thing is. And really, with with technology that's really sophisticated, you know there's a lot hidden from you that's that's brilliant behind the scenes to make the whole thing work. And similarly, for us today in 2019, it's just as dangerous as it has ever been to enter the presence of God. The author of Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. It's just as dangerous as it has always been. 
In Leviticus, we've seen in, in, in Exodus how God provided a way for people to endure His presence. But it was, it was highly nuanced, and He had to do things just right. God provided this way through a, a covenant, through a tabernacle, through the priest, through the sacrifice. And we're tempted to say, as we're living in, in New Testament, New Covenant reality, that God just did away with the whole system. But that would be a mistake. Jesus, God didn't terminate this covenant. He didn't get rid of the tabernacle, the priesthood, the sacrifice, the covenant. With all of those things, he didn't terminate them. He upgraded them. He improved them. He fulfilled them. And as we turn into the New Testament, as we go to a book like the book of Hebrews, I'd love for all of you to go home and read the first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews. We see how through the lens of Jesus... Uh, the early Christian movement saw how God had been calling his shot, how God had been preparing his people, tutoring his people, giving them shadows of what would ultimately come at the fullness of time. And so the author of Hebrews makes this case that all of it, the, the first covenant, the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, the priest, all of it was, was a precursor, a hint of the even greater things that were to come in the fullness of time when God, through the second person of the Trinity in Jesus, would tabernacle among his people and become incarnate among his people, veiling his glory so that they could endure his presence. So these are some passages from Hebrews, starting at Hebrews chapter 8. Now the main point of what we're saying is this, we do have a high priest one who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one, this high priest, to also have something to offer. He goes on. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and the more perfect tabernacle that's not made with human hands, that is to say, it's not part of creation. He did not enter by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. It continues. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And then this was the conclusion. So brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. What do you think that is? Baptism. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because he who promised is faithful. All of this was giving us a sense of the shaping of things to come. Jesus is the new priest. 
Jesus is the new tabernacle. Jesus is the new sacrifice. Jesus is the bearer of the new covenant. And because of this, we can enter the presence of God without fear of death, with reverent confidence. Because he was sacrificed one time for all, he serves as our eternal priest who's always commending us to the Father, always advocating on our behalf to the Father. We've got a guy on the inside. Therefore, we can enter God's presence with reverent confidence because Jesus is holding the whole thing together. And this gives us a picture in the fullness of time we see how uh, the one God eternally existed in three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We get this picture of how it is that we approach God, the mechanics that are hidden behind the curtain that we couldn't first see. And this is how we always come to God. We always come to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. To the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Let me show you what this is like. Kyle, would you come here? Andrew, would you come here? Gabe, would you come here real quick? And all right, who's going to be our sucker? Zach, will you help? Will you help me out real quick? Okay. I didn't tell any of these people ahead of time, by the way. Here's what this looks like. Zach, you're going to be our Christian. Zach is a Christian. Zach represents all of us, okay? Uh, Andy, I'm going to have you on the back. Gabe, you're going to be in the middle. Kyle's the tallest, so he gets to be God the Father, okay? (laughs) Now, let me tell you, we're at slight risk of heresy here. Slight risk of heresy. I'm going to do my best, though, okay? So, Gabe, you stand there for a second. Remember, who's Kyle? God the Father. Okay. Zach wants to come to the Father. Uh, Zach is a wonderful human being, uh, but, but like all of us, uh, sinful and carries that. If, if Zach were to come into the Father's presence right now, he couldn't bear it. Uh, Zach would be out like a light and we'd need the corpse team to come in and help us out because we have another service after this. So, we, so Zach can't approach the Father on his own. He has, to come, uh, he has to come into that presence mediated, sponsored. And so Gabe, who is Gabe? Gabe is Jesus. So you guys have never met each other, right? right. Okay, perfect. Throw your arm around Zach. Okay. <laughs> so when, as, as Zach is coming into the presence of God, he cannot do it on his own merit. So as Zach is coming, in, coming toward the presence of the Father, he's coming sponsored by Jesus. Jesus is the priest He's the sacrifice. He's the means by which there's access. But it gets even better than that. All of us, we can't even choose to approach the Father. We can't choose to have a relationship with Jesus on our own. We can't do it. We need help. And so who's Andy? Andy's the Holy Spirit. Andy's coming up behind. You're going to give, give Zach a Just put your hands on like you're giving him a nudge here, okay? So Andy on the back here is always pointing Zach to Gabe. Jesus. He's always, hey, look at this guy. He's the one who gets you in. He's your guy. He's your sponsor. He's giving Zach a push on the back, a reminder, hey, this, you need to go this direction. This is for your good. And this delights the Father. And put your hands up. Okay. And this, this is where the believer rests. This right here is where the believer lives, in a place of tremendous security within the Godhead. Where Zach is coming to the Father through the Son. He's dragging him along. He's the sponsor who's getting him where he needs to go with a nudge from behind by the Holy Spirit. And this is where the the believer lives in a place of tremendous security in the Godhead. 
don't worry about whether you're saved if you love Jesus. You don't worry about if you're going to lose your salvation. Keep walking forward with Him. You are in a position of tremendous security, going to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit who's nudging you along. And the author of Hebrews says, so just keep moving. Hold on to the faith that you profess. Good job, guys. Good job. You can be seated. Because of Jesus, we can approach the Father with reverent confidence. We go to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. The Christian sits in a place of tremendous security. How beautiful that the New Testament tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. That the Spirit is groaning and interceding on our behalf with groans deeper than words. Within the Godhead, you are being pulled for, and vouched for. Isn't that beautiful? Therefore, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. One of my mentors, my professors uh, at uh, Asbury Seminary was Bob Stamps, who some of you will know. And uh, for a long time, Stamps was a professor in, or was a pastor in Virginia, and he knew he had a bunch of military people in his congregation, but what do pastors know? They don't pay attention to things like rank and all of that. So uh, he was having dinner with a parishioner, and uh, they were not too far from the White House. It turns out this guy was a general, and they're having dinner, and the general goes, hey, you want to do something awesome? All right, sure. They're waiting on the food to come. It's been a while. So the general takes Dr. Stamps out the back door through the kitchen. They go out the kitchen. They go out the back door of the restaurant, and they start making their way toward these big iron gates. And as they approach, the general pulls out his credentials and say, good evening, general. And he, Stamps, and the general walk in. Stamps is like, what on earth is going on right now? They start, it's, it's evening, they start walking up the lawn, they, they grab the first door uh, into the building, the, the door opens, the general shows his, his credentials, and the general and Dr. Stamps walk in and he realizes, I am in the White House right now. Oh my gosh, I'm in the White House. They start heading west, they're going into the west wing, and Stamps is like, I'm not supposed to be here, I'm not supposed to be here, and every step, at every couple steps, there's a, a, a security officer, there's a CIA agent, there's somebody saying, good evening, general, good evening, general, good evening, general, and they're just looking right past at him like he like who's this guy he's good he's with me and when in a couple of minutes stamps finds himself standing in the middle of the oval office the president is not there uh, but he's standing in this place where he doesn't belong because this guy has credentials and he's vouching for him that's the christian going into places we don't belong because one is vouching for us one who has credentials to enter the holiest of holies because he is the second person of the trinity one who is our high priest, one who tabernacles among us, one who offers his life as a perfect, enduring, eternal sacrifice for sins, forever atoning for us. And if we put our faith in him, we have that access through faith in Jesus, approaching the throne of grace with reverent confidence. That's a good story. What's the response? Man, the response is not to abuse that that grace that's been shown to us, but to steward the life we've been given, to serve and to follow God, to keep in step with everything that he's doing, which is why the author of Hebrews ends that saying, let's spur one another on to good deeds. He says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage each other, push each other all the more as you see the day approaching. In view of God's mercy, 
We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We worship. We press in to know Jesus. We encourage others to do the same. And we give thanks for this position of tremendous security that we have within the Godhead. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now and it ever shall be. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us that you advocate for us, that you lay down your life for us and you continue to plead for us who are ignorant of you and run from you. Thank you that even today in our weakness, you hold us in the strength of your prayers. Thank you, Jesus, that as we offer our muddled, confused, half-hearted prayers to you, you turn those into something beautiful, representing us to your Father, putting in a good word for us. May we cooperate with what you're doing. May our lives overflow with love and worship of you. And we say thank you. If you're not walking with Jesus faithfully, today's a great day to start. If you've strayed, don't worry too much about your I'm sorry speech. The Father is delighted to welcome you home. Enter his presence with reverent confidence.